Howdy, friends. Happy Sunday afternoon. Uh, again, I apologize for getting this one out late a little bit, and this will, and same with the flock note. But welcome to the episode for the teaching series on how to pray the Mass. Um, these podcast episodes are going to be uh, basically the objective side of the personal experience that you're receiving at Mass. So when I'm at Mass on Sundays for the next, uh, like this week and the four after this one, it's a five-part series, um, I'm going to be at Mass, I'm going to be pausing in the middle of certain aspects of the Mass and explaining what you're seeing, what that means for you, right, and what the interior and external actions are for you, right, what, what you're being welcomed into as far as Christ and his Mass is concerned. So um, this week, the homily, which because I did not turn on that live stream is also posted here on the podcast episode. Um, it is also posted just for this week because it, I, I'm not going to have true homilies, as it were, on the next four weeks. I'm only going to be having those pausings. So if you want to be able to see the actions at Mass that I'm explaining, you got to go to our YouTube channel and look at the corresponding Sundays. So the Sundays that we'll be going through this with are going to be so uh, the 12th, the 19th, the 26th, and the 2nd of October. So September and October. And basically, once again, this is the objective side. This is like the theological mechanics. It, it, it's a really good anchor point to help us understand how this is all working. Um, so today, with that, I'm going to be also uh, also with these, I'm just going to be adding in some songs at the end. I don't know how to do some smooth transitions because I don't have a mixer, but I'm going to be adding some songs at the end of the podcast, uh, just like 30 second snippets of things that I think are beautiful and remind me of what's happening at mass. And they're just secular songs, but I think they're good. So with that, today I was talking about, I was just giving the intro right, for this teaching series, this homily series, and the intros, uh, and again, it's like how to pray the Mass, right, so how to pray the Mass, why do we even ask that question, right, why is it that I even propose that, well, one, I have a subjective experience, I had my own experience in prayer at Mass two weeks ago, where I wanted to really bring this, this forward, but two is, is that, like, you have a very real and essential role in what's happening, and I want you to be aware of that. Um, some of us in older generations have, uh, like, have always heard this full, active, and conscious participation at Mass. I'm going to try to uh, avoid buzzwords and words that have been used ad nauseum like that, uh, and because I think that it can uh, it, it it obscures more than it reveals. So I'm going to do my best to use common language here in explaining what's happening objectively, and then. Uh, and if I can't, I'm going to do my best to really explain and pick apart what I'm saying in common terms. So with that, you know, what is the mass, right? What is the mass? <clears throat> Before we even like go there, the thing I want to point out is this, is that it's almost impossible to talk about what is liturgy, right? What is the mass um, without also pointing out the fact that there is the church, right? When we talk about the church as common kind of uh, narrative or common images of the church, we always think institutional realities, um, you know, this kind of exterior facing thing, right? But the, I want to talk about the church in relation to the way that Paul does and about the way the church understands herself, 
how does Paul, St. Paul, in his writings to the Ephesians and elsewhere, and how does the church herself, from the time of the giving of Pentecost, how does the church understand herself? What is her definition of herself? Well, for our purposes, I'm going to say that the church is the body of Christ. You know, think to yourself, what does that mean, the body of Christ? Well, think of it this way. What was the secret, like the secret plan of God for humanity? The secret plan of God for humanity is, is that uh, from the very beginning, we were made, right, to be in relationship with God in a very explicit and intensive way, right? That's what Genesis, the opening of Genesis is really saying, right? That we're meant to be seated next to God, literally, um, to be with him. Right? He, he made us free creatures with free will to be able to say yes to love just because he wanted to be able to overflow his love, right? Because he wanted to share love, right? We're made for love out of love, for love and out of love. Now, obviously, that, that got ruptured somewhere. We have that experience in our everyday life with concupiscence, that, that tendency towards dissipation, a disconnection, sin, error evil. We, we have that temptation, but we're not totally just, you know, tempt or uh, covered in that, right? We're not totally corrupted in that. We still have this original yearning for, for, for a true relationship, for righteousness, right? The Lord, like, uh, did not everything got corrupted in us. So the Savior came. He came, started speaking through the prophets, right? Through choosing a people, Israel, the Jews, and then he sent himself, right? Why did he send himself? He sent himself because he knew we needed to have a concrete human experience with him. Now, hold on to that, a concrete human experience with him. In order to know, right, like God, because I'm a creature, because I'm human, God, like I need to have a concrete human experience. I need to be awakened in a human way. I need to be spoken to, showed in a human way, right? The ineffable presence of God the Father. So he sent his only begotten son, the second person of the Trinity, be to become fully man and fully God. Right? So perfectly man, perfectly God. So it's in that sonship of Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, receiving the love of the Father, we would be able, through Jesus's humanity, right? His humanity is the doorway to eternity. To hit, the humanity of Jesus is the doorway to divinity, to his Godhead, to the Father. So Jesus, what did Jesus do? All right. Why did he make a church? All right. Good. This reason this question is important. Why Jesus made a church is because he, he wanted to perpetuate his human presence, right? Remember, needing to know things in a human way, the human heart, seeing things in a human way, hearing things in a human way. He wanted to, and his humanity being the doorway to divinity, he wanted to perpetuate his human presence here on earth in this mystical, glorified, resurrected way. His friends, these apostles, Mary Magdalene, his own mother, right? Mary, wife of Clopas, all these people, these disciples and apostles, that was the beginning of the church, that friendship. And he invested it, imbued it, infused it with his spirit. Whenever they're together, they are the church, his body. He's actually 
because they're the human experience, right? The human reality of God, right? Dwelling with people, right? We can say it's his body. That's the mystical part of it. His body is still present to us through each other. The body of Christ is still here. He's still perpetuating his human presence on earth. And what did Jesus want to do within, like, why does he want to keep his presence on earth, right? Why does he want to keep his presence here? Why didn't he just leave? Well, there's two reasons for that. And I'm far, I'll get to the liturgy or to the mass in a moment here, okay? There's two reasons why he wanted to, to stay present. Because, one, like I was saying before, we need to continually see a human face. Jesus' human face, right, present to feel the human embrace of God again, day in and day out for 2,000 years later, right? Jesus is still present that way in the church. He's perpetuating his incarnation. But the second one is this, is that he is, he's not just using us like robots or programs, right? He's actually asking us to co-work with him, to be brought into his life and his work, his mission. His mission is the redemption of humanity, right? The bringing of humanity to the face of the Father, raising us up healing us and then raising us up and he desires us to participate with him there's a line from saint thomas aquinas and he says god delights in using secondary causes uh an, Im an image for that would be this is that classic image that i always give about you know when you have your son or your daughter and you ask and they're young like really young like three or four and you say hey like help me sweep right the floor the kitchen floor or something like that you know they're not going to do a great job right but you're bringing them into yourself, into your own experience, as it were, into your own mission, right? However little that may be, bringing them into that. And you're putting your hands over theirs and, and showing them how to sweep. They are actually, your child is actually sweeping the floor with you, right? But you're the one who's a prime mover, a prime motivator there. And they're just saying yes, right? Saying yes in their freedom. Because, why? Because they want to be with you and you want them to be with you. You want them to be involved in your own work, even if you're the one who's primarily doing it. That's what Aquinas means. That's what our experience of Jesus in the church is. Jesus, the first kind of instigator, the first mover, the, the, the starter of everything, starting something in our heart, starting something in us and as a body, as a court, as a people, right? And moving and being the one who's doing it. And we're just saying, yes, he delights with us participating. And that's what the church is. It's at least one aspect of the church. So what is, how does Jesus like save, right? Well, he gives grace, gives grace. He gives us energy and his power. But in particular, right, there's this one action, this one, the greatest gift of love. He, he wanted his presence to be perpetuated, right, throughout history. Yes. But he also wanted his greatest gift, right, his most saving action, his most efficacious is the word right, the most powerful or potent action, the most possible potent action to be continued, to be presented again and again and again. What was that? It was the cross. It was Calvary. It's what, and what happened at the cross in Calvary, right? When Jesus died on the cross, it was a free gift of himself. What was he doing? He was going to the very depths of human forsakenness, of human sin and brokenness, and filling it back up with his divine presence, right? So death, death is an utter litmus, utter limit 
of, of human suffering and fear and shame and sin. He went down all the way into death and conquered it and filled it with his life, right? There's a great line from a, uh, from a, a church father, and he said that, you know, Jesus tricked death. Death thought he they had God as its prey, Jesus as its prey. And as it swallowed Jesus, right, death swallowed up Jesus, he erupted out of it, burst it from the inside, conquered it from the inside out, and ruptured it. It's no longer definitive. It's no longer going to conquer. We can think of human nature as, in sinful human nature, not as like something that's just stained. It's not really that. That's a, somewhat of an image. Uh, but we can think of it as some, as like a piece of ground that's had a blast hole, like a mine go off or a bomb dropped, and there's this big crater. And our humanity is this field with a big crater in the middle of it. What Jesus does is with his perfect humanity, comes and heals that, heals the land, and it fills it back up, right? And then makes it green and verdant. That's his divinity regenerating us, making us like God, like himself. That's what he did on the cross. That's his greatest gift, his greatest offering, his greatest sacrifice right, for humanity. He wanted that present again. And for us, again, going back to that human way, participating in that. Now, he's not going to ask us to mount a cross and be crucified day in and day out, right? That's not reasonable, right? What did he end up doing? We have to look at the Last Supper. So we have the Calvary experience, and we have the Last Supper. And the Last Supper, right, what did he say? This is my body. This is my blood. Do this in memory of me. He's doing the Passover ritual, but he's in giving something new in it. And then he's saying, do this in memory of me. And for the Jew, right, the understanding of memory is not something that I remember that happened in the past. It's actually a representation. The past actually is transported to this very moment. And I'm in that experience from 2,000 years ago again. It's happening, really happening again. That's what we believe right, about the Mass, about liturgy. That, that experience, right, is presented again. The cross is presented again. And Jesus linked that ritual, right, with, of Last Supper through the Holy Spirit. He linked it, mysteriously or mystically linked it, or powerfully linked it with his offering on the cross. One of the Gospels, it says, is, you know, didn't, he didn't complete the Last Supper and because he didn't have the last cup. The last cup of wine that he drank, right, was on the cross, actually. So you see this continuation, this kind of linking of the Last Supper and the gift of the of his life on the cross. Super interesting, super beautiful. So in other words, to sum that up, why connect those two? Because Jesus wants us to enter into the, his offering, his perfect offering, his greatest gift of love through a, a human method, which is this Passover ritual. Right? The, the liturgy, the mass, a way that we can enter on his sacrifice again, receive his gift of love again and again and again. Right, The 2,000 years ago is entering today, represented today in this ritual. It's a very human and reasonable way of doing it. It's super beautiful. So what we see at the ritual right, of the liturgy of the mass is actually it's Jesus showing up again doing the beautiful work, doing the work of God. In Latin, the opus dei, 
So it's from here, right, that we need to make some connections between us as a church, the body of Christ, and Christ giving this ritual, right, that is that is connected, that is one part of, uh, mysteriously linked to, the one and the same, like two different images of a prism or uh, of, of the Calvary and Last Supper experience. We need to connect the Last Supper, Calvary experience, the Mass, the ritual, the gift of his love with being his body. How do we, what does that mean? You'll see what I'm going to do here in a moment. Jesus did this because he knew, he knows that we need to have a touch point, or not just a touch point, but a real thing, a reminder, right? Uh, an exp uh, a way of entering into his love again, to be filled with his love again, to have our areas of, of fear or hopelessness or shame filled up again each week, or each day even at daily mass. He wants to perpetuate his greatest gift. So what is the mass at that point? What is the liturgy? I'm using mass and liturgy interchangeably, but they have two just kind of, um, they're two different words. So I'm just going to use liturgy at this point. What is liturgy? Liturgy is a Greek word. And the easiest way to say what this Greek word means is, is that it's the work of the people. Now, what does that mean? The work of the people. It's uh, another way of putting it. It's the work of the few on behalf of the many. Who's the few? Who's the few? The few is a trinity. And who's the many? It's us. It's us. The few is the trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, working acts of love for our sake the people. And so, and then with this other definition, right, the work of the people, we combine these two things together. What do we get? What we get is the liturgy is the work of God and the activity of humans. In other words, at every mass, Jesus himself is the one who's offering himself and he's asking and, and it's through our actions that he's asked us to do. He's bringing us in again, like that image of the child sweeping the floor with his mother or father's hands over theirs as they're holding the broom sweeping, right? The liturgy really is truly Jesus present, praying and offering himself to the heavenly father for the sanctification, the regeneration, the renewal, right? The glorification of humanity. Super beautiful. And we are the, and it's through our actions. It's really beautiful. We don't get conquered. He uses our real actions. We don't get conquered. We're not robots. He's using, he's in us as we're doing this. So that's why I was talking about the church, right? The body of Christ. Because when we're showing up at mass corporately, doing this action, right? Because Jesus says, I will be with you to the end of the age, you, you know, in, in, in my church, what we're seeing is, is that when we're showing up, we, we notice that we must have, we have to ask the question, how, do we, how can we do this? How is this possible? How, how is it that we are missioned or, or have a capacity? That's where your baptism comes in, right? Because you're an adopted son or daughter of God, right? because you're part of his body, a cell in his body, as it were, and you're doing this work. Jesus is the one who's starting the action, like I was saying before, He's the one starting the action. He's the one who's offering to the Father. And we're saying yes, as he's moving in us. 
as we're saying yes to this in our own freedom. Jesus in his body, us as the body, right, is the activity of humans. Jesus, right, resurrected, right, offering to the Father, that's the work of God on that side of the equation. So in other words, right, again, we are participating in this work of God. It's the activity of humans, but the work of God. Activity of humans, the work of God. Right? That's what's happening at Mass. So what is Jesus's mission then? It's the glorification of the Father and the sanctification of us, or meaning the saving of us. It's as he is get, receiving love of the Father and giving thanks back to the Father, giving himself as an offering to the Father, right? That we are actually sanctified because we're participating in his humanity. It's really crazy, really crazy. It's really beautiful. The way that, another way of putting it is that the way that Jesus glorifies the Father is by saving us because he's giving himself to the gift. He's, he's being obedient to the Father. He's the Father saying, I want, we created them. We created them for glory, for me, for love and life. So we need to save them, right? So glorifying the Father is being obedient to him, and that means saving us. So Mass is the starting point where we are saved. That's the starting point where we are saved. It's the beginning, the source, the font of salvation for us. This font of salvation for humanity is the mass, the liturgy. It's crazy. It means that the mission of Jesus, put it in one radical way, is to get everybody to mass in the liturgy, to be able to praise, to be part of the body of Christ and to praise the Father. Because of praising, right, that, that being in Christ, being part of his body and receiving the love of the Father the way Jesus does, right, is what redeems humanity. That's what makes humanity more and more and more and more itself. So the last thing, you know, I really want to bring up <clears throat> about this is simply that when we're entering mass, right, liturgy, the holy liturgy, what do we bring, right? What do we bring? And what, like, what is our sacrifice? What is our sacrifice? And I didn't talk about, uh, talk about this in the homily. But what is our sacrifice? Our sacrifice or, or what we're offering is our whole life, our self, our need, like our need for fulfillment, for truth and happiness and peace and goodness. We're bringing all of that with us. And Jesus takes all of that into himself or he comes into us and like gives us that power of the spirit, that groaning of the spirit so that we can give that as an offering. And Jesus takes that and makes that part of his own offering on the cross. He's filling up our need, literally at every mass, filling us up at every single mass, filling us up with his love. It's the starting. So in that way, mass is also the summit. The liturgy is also the summit. It's both the font, the beginning point, and also the destination. It's a beautiful image, the beginning and the end, the destination, right? Or the, the font and the destination, the beginning point and the destination of our life. And so what this allows us, to, and then what happens? We're sent out, right? Ita misa est, right? We are sent out, right? We're sent on mission, right? The mission that we've been brought into, right? 
the mission of Jesus, which is our own regeneration, our own redemption, is implanted into us in a new way through our own needs. And, the, and we get sent out back into everyday life, right? What happens is, is that we like come to mass and we breathe, like, like we come in bringing the struggle, any decay or despair. And what we take out is eternity, life and peace and regeneration and newness of humanity. So my friends, that'll, that'll be enough for now. Um, but anyway, I, uh, I hope that uh, this podcast format will work out for you. Um, in the show notes here, I'll, uh, I'll put some uh, places where I'm taking a lot of this stuff and where I've learned a lot of this. And, um, Anyway, I hope you have a blessed week and I hope that you can enter into kind of, you know, that this will help you enter next week into a more profound kind of personalistic way of entering mass. So my friends, God bless you. And at the end of this episode, we're going to, I'm going to just kind of play this uh, 30 second snippet of this song by Sufjan Stevens named Vito's Ordination Song. God bless you. Ciao.